Cross it in, looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hi, y'all. Five Strike Final, JCM Jones from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer. Joe Patrick from 99 The Game, Dirty South Soccer, and the Mothership sometimes as well is over there. Say hey, Joe. Hey, Sam. How's it going? How's it going? You excited for for this podcast? This is like five too much energy right now, man. I'm exhausted. (laughs) I was officially the last person in the press box last night. Very proud of this. Nice. When I get to do that, I can't tell if it's because I just have a lot on my plate because I'm so abundantly talented or it's, it's because I write really slow and I'm not actually good at this. So I, who knows? I am definitely, I get paranoid the fact that like I'm taking too long and I'm like terribly behind the deadlines. Cause you know, the deadlines that they give us, you know, it, it's not really like a firm time, which I would almost rather have. Like I would rather, rather have, have, yeah. you know, just like give me an exact like, time you need it. Cause otherwise it's just ASAP and you're always just kind of tinkering with things and playing with ideas. Mm-hmm. And it took me forever to think of like a lead last night for my stories, but that's just how it goes. I kind of started with my lead and then this is way too inside baseball. Anyway, I used a Frank Ocean song. Go check out our stuff on MLSsoccer.com. Do not go to MLS.com. It is still a real estate site. But we were writing, of course, about Atlanta United 2-1 winners yet again in MLS. And Joe Patrick wins against two just stalwarts of the game, two of the best teams, the best competition <laughs> we're going to face right. oh, yeah. all year. I think uh, this puts us on track to win the league. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, Ezekiel Barco and Everson Heineman will just score in every single game. Okay. They'll win every single mm-hmm. game 2-1. Mm-hmm. No, but I think, like, you know, for those similarities, I think the game, the two games were very different. Like, I thought that Atlanta United was definitely in control of this one, where I mean, maybe they were in control against Nashville, but they definitely were not creating inroads the way they did against Cincinnati at times. Sure. It was it was weird because the way the stats panned out at the end was uh, Cincinnati outshot Atlanta like 14 to 8, but Atlanta created far more expected goals. It was like 1.9 to 0.55. So pretty crazy to, to create 1.9 expected goals off of eight shots. Yeah. But, you know, hey, at least they were getting some good shots off. And actually and that, the one Emerson Hyman's goal that he scored was like actually credited super, super low. Yeah, yeah. so kind of crazy, yeah, they, but... um. He had a couple of bodies in front of him and then kind of got helped out by by Richie. Kind of, If you watch it again, he jumps the wrong way immediately. <laughs> he was doomed from the beginning. Um, but, yeah, no, there was the uh, the big chance that Zeke kind of missed after a great pass. I think it was a diagonal from Pity that found him in the box. And then that's not even – all that's not even counting the missed three-on-one that Atlanta had. Um, man, that was uh, that was something. I, I, I should say that first attempt that was like the big the the first big chance for Atlanta United in the game that mm-hmm. one that Ezekiel Barco he didn't miss it but it was just barely parried wide um, that was like the textbook example of like quote unquote false nine play or just like you know a, 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 okay. a link up striker type of play where Adam John dropped a little deep and you can see if you go back and watch the play. You can see the center back clearly following John out, out of the the center forward area and into midfield. So just totally vacating that space. And Barco, you can see, he gets right in between the right back and the center back in the gap that that one center back left. And Pitti Martinez finds him with that ball right down, right through that 
through that gap. So that's kind of the way that they would have drawn it up. And so it was good to see that actually kind of come to fruition, even though he didn't score that particular time. I'm going to say something and I'm going to preface it with, with this in absolutely zero timelines is Adam John, a better soccer player than Joseph Martinez. In, in none <laughs> of these timelines does that exist. It is not what I'm saying. It is not at all what I want anyone to take away from this, but I will say that I think his, his skill set, his play style, uh, is much closer to Frank DeBoer's preferred style than Joseph, and I, I don't think that's unfair. Um, I don't know how that will be uh, utilized in the long run. I don't know how effective, really, he can continue to be at it. Um, but at the very least, at the very least, Frank did say last night that Adam John, quote, worked his balls off. So I don't know how much that means in the grand scheme of things, but but it did happen, and it's interesting kind of element that he kind of adds to it where he, you know, Joseph's an alpha, right? Like he's going to try to get forward. He's going to try to spearhead everything and, and get in the box. But John is uh, much more reserved and, and going to step an alpha and speak really quietly <laughs> and, and really high in, are in you, his interviews. Are, are you what? saying Frank DeBoer likes large, pasty, white Dutch strikers up top? Um, Adam, yeah. named Adam named Adam Jan. That's uh, <laughs> man, good old Adam Jan, uh, elite Dutch striker. He did, he did he did well enough. It, it's a tough position for him to come in, you know. Um, yeah. Especially when like you know there wasn't there's no secret to his game, you know. I think everybody kind of knows what he offers both in the op- on the opposition as well, you know. So he did he did as much as he could do, and I thought he actually. Linked up at times nicely with Pitti, especially with Barco making the the runs forward into the box. And again, I think Barco. The, again, the goal he scored was a tap in, and I love I loved how Frank DeBoer just admitted he said it was ninety percent Pitti's goal uh, that yeah. he just tapped in on on the edge of the box. But uh, again, he's going to have double digit goals for sure if he doesn't get hurt. Quick update on Portland and Nashville that's on right now. Diego Valeri still good. Uh, about that PT goal, though, it's it's really good to see him attacking space. And it's something we mentioned a yeah. little bit, and I, I think we saw it a lot in the Matagua game, uh, where he is kind of looking at space in the box and isn't trying to j- work his way around dudes or anything like that. He's just directly attacking it, getting the end line, getting into space. And he's done it a few times now. And, of course, both times it's had really solid results. And, of course, last night, um, also credit to Zeke there for making a very Joseph-esque run mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to the what? near post. Yeah, you know, that was, that was, was really a very fun. Joseph kind of finish to like just get be right in there on the end of a cross. But it is good to see Pitti. It seems like he's more decisive with just everything he does, really. His movements, yeah. his, his attempted dribbles. He just seems like he's not second-guessing himself at all. And Again, it's something Frank DeBoer again said after the game about what he's learned from this team through four games or however many they've played this season. Um, And that's just like the I love how Frank he's had this question before and he calls it the ambiance of the team. But like the 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 morale, the locker room morale, the the, just the general mood of the team is what he's talking about. Is it it's really good and it feels good, Um, even though every guy in there that I spoke to pretty much to a man said that the team is not playing as well as it's capable of right now. And that they expect, and they have to be better, especially if they want to get any sort of result against club America, but it's still good. It, it just feels like all the guys are on the same page. And 
I don't know if you saw Justin Felder from Fox five put out a video from training this week. And like, it was, it was of pity, like a kind of like a close up of yeah. his face. And he's like joking around with people and, and having a good time on the training ground, despite it like raining and being cold and nasty. So it's just, it, it, it the way that this season has started for me is about as good as one could have expected considering all the injuries. I think that yeah. this team would probably be, looking a lot nicer to the on the eye uh ha- if joseph was healthy if you had miles robinson available in all these games but considering everything that's happened i think just getting the results at this point of the season is huge you know the team had one point at, through two games last year so you're already five points ahead yeah it, it felt like i think it took forever for them to get to six points last year and they're already there you know it, with the with a worse roster at this point you know and more issues just at hand um so to have that is, is kind of remarkable. And, you know, um, there's no reason to, to really get too carried away. Kind of like we were joking at the start, it is, it is an expansion team and basically an expansion team that they've beaten, right? Yeah. So, sure. you know, it, it's, it's something to be tempered. But it is, it is encouraging to at least see the mood be one that is not contentious, that is, you know, very open. And it, I was trying to pinpoint the reason for PT kind of being a little more happy-go-lucky and free, uh, skipping through the hallways and stuff like that, um, which I'm sure he does on a regular basis. Um, Just emotionally yeah, it, it sounds open. like I'm describing a Sound of Music character. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, whatever. Um, look, he just feels better. Um, and, and trying to pinpoint that a little bit, I was talking with, with Doug Roberson, and we, we kind of came to a conclusion that Maybe the dude just needed a break. He was coming straight off of a of a season with uh with River Plate and a tournament. And you remember he left? I think it, what was the tournament? Was it Libertadores? Or? Yeah, yeah, Libertadores. Yeah. They went and played it in the final in Madrid because of the uh, riots or the that's right bus. That's right. Bus oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, he left that yeah. and immediately came to Atlanta and had to start. And you know, um, we played a very dense schedule last year and everything like that to to have. Three four months off here, you know that that can do a world of good. It can sometimes it's just simple as that. Um, yeah. So and you got know, spend, it interesting. And not only was it a physical break for him from playing soccer, but it's just you know he, he had to move his family over, and he probably he didn't get to spend a, an off season kind of just enjoying some mental health time to just be with them. And he got that finally this off season. And I think that that's one reason why you know a lot of the issues have been kind of it seems like they've been kind of up in his head, you know, the, he, yeah. he kind of cut a very frustrated figure last year. And now we're just, I think you're kind of seeing the, what, yeah, that relaxation and just that time spent being a human in the off season for these players can, can mean for them. Absolutely. So, you know, that's, that's nice. That's pleasant. That's, that's a good thought. Um, it'll be interesting. I'm sure Felipe or someone will have a, have a lengthy feature on that at some point. Um, Cause it's just such a, it's an, one. It's an obvious storyline. Yeah. Two. It's a. It's an interesting one as well. So I, we'll get more info on that eventually. But um, he, he's doing all the right things. He's saying all the right things, and it, it's super encouraging and, and fun to watch right now. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about people stepping up, and everyone on the team talked about people stepping up in the absence of Joseph, and a lot of that burden, of course, is going to go on the two fifteen-ish million dollar DPs. And last night they lived up to that. Um, I don't know if that keeps up for the rest of the year, but last night they did it. So, 
Yeah, and I think that also one of the guys that's going to this burden is going to fall on is a guy that we haven't really talked about so much because he hasn't been playing in Mateus Ozeto, who came on and yeah. got 20 minutes last night, looked really, really good. Um, you could it was a little off, you know, the chemistry isn't quite there yet. But I just thought what you saw from his first touch was fantastic and just the way he can control the ball and the fact that he wants to murder other midfielders is amazing. And I, I, I had, there was one time where he like jumped into a tackle and I immediately went red card <laughs> and um, he didn't get a red. He got a yellow. But it, like I, I, I was caught between two minds. One is like, you know, you dumbass. Like, why? why wh- that was so stupid. You just get you're getting yourself sent off five minutes into this. And then the other reaction was like, get the hell in there. Amazing, right? It, it's so it's we needed that vibe, I think, ever since Carlos Carmona left, you know, right. yeah. um, it reminds me of the dude. This is a dated reference for sure. But uh, for in forgetting Sarah Marshall, where Paul Rudd says, I watched that dude beat up another dude with a starfish. It was me. <laughs> um, that that's how, that's how I feel about his Uh He's just um, he's what my kid, friends in high school would have called um, a, a little shit. <laughs> I think uh, he's got that kind of in him. He's just going to be in your face all the time, and it, it's it's glorious. It, not to mention that, again, he looks great on the ball, um, and that's going to be a fun addition. I think him and Hyman is eventually the, the midfield, too. And to talk a little bit about, you know, someone else picking up the slack, Hyman has been good. Yeah. You know, and in weird ways, too. It's one of those things. It's going to be super interesting, and I'm sure, I bet Seattle football will have something eventually on this um, because he's always been high on Emerson. But the caveat with that has been his usage rate, especially in possession, right? Like, he just doesn't seem to really be there sometimes. And then when he shows up, good things happen. And I don't know how sustainable that is, but when he shows up, good things happen. Like a weasel popping out of a hole. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, Yeah, no. That classic timeless reference of a weasel (laughs) coming out of a hole. Um. Yeah, I mean, he's good. Just the thing that sucks for him is that he didn't get a damn guitar for his Man of the Match performance, and he only got a shitty bronze boot. You can't even wear the shoe, either. So they've stopped giving... I guess whoever made the guitars has, like, you know, gotten his fill of Atlanta United. (laughs) Or or just, you know, maybe it's the stock market or whatever it is. Uh, No more guitars, I guess, for the players who win Man of the Match. They They get a bronze boot. Which is kind of I th- I th- lame. Yeah, I think Emo called it a budget trophy, which made me laugh. <laughs> that was that was good. Uh, that was we were, the best interaction of last yeah, night. Yeah, we were sure. joking yeah. with him. We said if he scores, he'll get a silver one if he scores in Concacaf Champions League, and then he gets a gold one if it's in a cup final or something. So he's got that to look forward to, and he scored in a final uh, last year against Club America. So hey, maybe he he can uh, run the gamut and get all three of them. Amazing, amazing. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, because no, I, I could totally, you know, you know, like we've joked about my chemical romance with Emerson Hyman. Like, could <laughs> see him taking that guitar, like being like so happy to finally get a guitar and take it home and and learn every single bit of uh, my Black Parade or whatever it's called, the Black Parade <laughs> shit. I don't know. Um, I don't listen to them. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, in addition to that, um, the back line continues to be very solid, which I think is something that a lot of people are ignoring right now. Maybe not ignoring, just it's, it's not something you really acknowledge when it's just steady, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mateson Probably. continues to be very good. Anton continues to be very good. Um, and with a rotating cast of humans, 
uh, at that right center back spot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, total cursed, total cursed position. Dude, I, I don't even know what's happening with that. It's like all of Franco's bad juju from last year is, is going to that one spot, you know? Um, eagerly waiting for someone getting hasn't punched even in the face. Anybody, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so there, there was the injury to Lawrence White, um, who was good for his limited time in Nashville and his limited time in Atlanta, uh, but got a knock to the head and had to be taken out in exchange for 18-year-old George Campbell, um, who doesn't look like an 18-year-old, but is still an 18-year-old. Yeah. You know? it, it's it's a lot to ask of him, but again, came in and did did pretty well. It did enough anyway. Did enough, um, yeah. You know, Cincinnati's not Club America. The interesting thing about Wyke is that you know, coming from Atlanta United too, you assume someone like that, someone of that profile, would be a player who's pretty solid defensively, but is going to be very limited on the ball. And I feel like with him. He actually looks very, very comfortable on the ball. And a part of that was, uh, you know, in Toyota Football and Felipe were talking about this on Twitter this morning, that Cincinnati just wasn't putting him under any sort of pressure. No. So it was very easy for him to just kind of spend some time on the ball and he could pick out a pass. But, hey, you got to, I mean, give him credit for actually making making those passes, not being afraid to to put the onus on himself to try to advance the ball forward. So I thought it was, you know, it's, it's a shame that – He's not he, he, that he did suffer the injury and we won't get to see him uh, soon. But I mean, I'm sure we'll see him back back with the team in due time. But uh thought he played well. Yeah. Thought he thought thought he showed some nice promise. And hopefully the team will get Miles Robinson back. There is there was an update on him toward the end of last week. He was uh, back outside running outside the week before that. He was on a treadmill. Last week, he was doing sprints outside before the team um, did their training. So I would imagine the next step is to him getting involved with the team without contact uh, this week. And then hopefully for the home leg, I think you'll be able to see him potentially make his first appearance back uh, against Club America at Fifth Third Bank Stadium if everything goes well. But in the meantime, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. We'll talk about that in the next segment. Um, But they're short on center backs. But I got to say. Fernando Meza and Anton Walks, probably the two most underrated players, under-talked about players of this team so far this season. I mean, I can't say enough good things about Fernando Meza. The guy is, like, I just, I, I never see him do anything wrong. I never see him make a mistake. Like, there's not like a, you know, with Leandro Gonzalez-Perez for all the good things that he brought to games. There were quite a few times where it was like, oh, what are you doing, buddy? You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um you don't really see that with Meza, you know, he's just like very solid, always seems reliable. And again, he's like kind of short, but he's freaking gets up for those headers. So like he was going up against the guy he was that outsized him in uh, Jurgen Lacadia uh, for FC Cincinnati. And it was like not even an issue at all. So yeah. huge credit to him. He's got a, he's got a Parker sprain on him for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with maybe a little more athleticism to him, which is, you know, can you imagine if Michael Parkhurst had been athletic his whole career? <laughs> I know. And it's weird that, like, Meza is, like, oddly he's, – he's quite athletic, and, and he's 30 years old. Or he's yeah. either 29 or 30. I mean, he's kind of getting up there. ancient. He might die right. any, yeah. any day now. Yeah. Um, speaking of Parkhurst, you see his hair? Okay. This got mentioned to me multiple times last night. And no, I didn't. But I'm, I'm worried about him because multiple people have brought this up now. He's really going like California shag from like mid two thousands. <laughs> I like it. 
I like the, I like the, the idea that he's just letting himself go yeah, just, just every like night. Bohemian. Just sitting he's, at home. He's wearing Birkenstocks. He's trying to bring Birkenstocks <laughs> back. He's got. He's just carrying a hacky sack around. No one's actually playing hacky sack with him. He just has a hacky sack. He's, he's asking everybody a, if they want to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when no one does, he pulls out those sticks that you juggle. You know. And <laughs> And it just turns on a whole lot of Dave Matthews, man. Michael Parker's living the dream in retirement. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, we're going to have to catch up with Parky. We got to get Parky on this show. That's we what we got to do. He would probably He'd do up it, too. For it. Yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll have we, the Parker say, special come to you. We say that. Yeah, he'll, he'll totally be up for it to talk to us, the <laughs> protagonist of Atlanta United. Completely. We just have to burn this episode so that he doesn't hear what we just said about him. <laughs> hey, he might admit as much too. Uh, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> but no, he, he showed up last night. He was in the Joseph Martinez jersey, which brings us to the fun topic, at least maybe not a fun topic, a sad topic, but like a a bittersweet topic. Uh, the support yesterday for Joseph was excellent um, from the fans, from the players. We talked about Zeke making the Joseph S. grind. He follows that up with holding up the the seven, uh, you know, and uh, the the TFO for the game was a seven, and uh, I think that was kind of put together a little bit late. I'm sure plans changed as far as what the first TFO was because none was, of those yeah, things were a long time. It very you may know. well have been of Joseph, you know, like a uh... right. <laughs> so uh, you know they had to to get that together, and uh, fans did a great job. Um, the the seventh minute or the eighth minute really, but seven minutes on the clock. Uh, they they start chanting Joseph's name and everything like that. Uh, I saw Giant get well cards in the gulch down uh, a few tailgates before the game. It, it just really, really well done from everyone involved, I thought, yesterday. I had not noticed that it was technically the eighth minute. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? They- <laughs> well, like, the seven shit. was on the clock. <laughs> I got it. I understood. I'm not going to be picky about it. Uh, that's funny. I'm just thinking of like you know you go to the you, you go to all this trouble to uh, make the plan and it's like shit wrong minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it, it was yeah. the thought that yeah no it, it was really good. I didn't you're you're just bringing it to my attention now. So uh, yeah no it it was great it was great to see and just the fans in general I thought were good. It got a little weird in the second half. It was like. It was like the crowd was waiting for that third goal to to happen and to kind of, kind of like, you know bust the whole thing open and think everybody would have gone crazy. And I felt like people were just a little like not on edge, but like it got a little sleepy, not sleepy. That's cause that sounds wrong. Uh, it was just like, it was a weird atmosphere as the game was winding down because it felt like Atlanta was in a much better position because of the way they kind of controlled the possession of the game and everything, yeah. but they were actually one goal away from having a, not a great result. So it was kind of, it was kind of weird, but I thought that, you know, it was great to see 69,000 people in there. We were both walking around before the game, the Gulch, and it was just like, uh, the whole place is a haze of smoke and you can just like, you know, <laughs> all kinds of different smokes coming out of the Gulch, which is always great to, to see and smell. So I was just, I, it was just, great to be back in that environment for me personally yeah the the gulch is is special man i don't it know is. what we're gonna do without the gulch the the eventual the eventual hagiography like we have to write about the gulch is gonna be is gonna be something uh oral histories all of it we're gonna throw all of it at the wall i think when, when it finally goes away because man what a what a beautiful spot in a beautiful collection of humans just yeah. doing dumb shit 
I walked into, uh, I walked, the first step I took into the Gulch yesterday, I heard fireworks go off for like no reason. They were just shooting fireworks. I don't know what it was. And I walked up eventually and I got to one of the tailgates. I think it was Resurgence. Everyone was just in a big circle watching someone shoot off fireworks. <laughs> it was like the, the dumbest kids in the clubhouse kind of thing. Like hold, it, it hold, was, my, hold my beer. Yes, exactly. Like here we go. We're gonna shoot all these <laughs> off, and I loved, I loved it deeply. It was great. And then you walk through it, and just you, you'll stumble on things like people playing trumpet, trombone, and everything like that, and and shooting smoke off, and everything like that. And you just never quite know what you're gonna stumble into. But it, it's been a really special, special spot, and I, I think we have it for at least the rest of the year, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Enjoy yeah. it while you can, folks. Yep, for sure, for sure. There's truly nothing really like it in MLS, as far as I know. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have mentioned this anywhere too. else other than like <laughs> Nashville, <laughs> New York, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention that though. It just feels, it just. <sighs> so Patrick, <laughs> it just means more. <laughs> oh, there it is. It just means there more. It, it feels bigger though. It feels bigger. It does. I don't think that's homerific of me to say. It, it just feels a little a little bigger when you're walking around and, and you're at an Atlanta United game compared to everything else. Yeah, uh, for sure. So, you know, for, for that, I thought the crowd was good. Uh, but you're right, it was a little on edge, I think, just because of Cincinnati, you know, getting a little closer than they probably should have. But uh, overall, 69,000 people show up. Atlanta United now has all 10 of the top 10 MLS attendances in, in history. Uh, so, uh, you know, I can't fault them too much. Yeah, it was great. Cool. You, you, you want to talk about some uh, CCL? Let's do it. Let's go to part two. All right, before we get into some CCL talk, just a quick reminder, as always, the presenting sponsor of Five Stripe Final is Lucid FC. That is Lucid Footwear and Clothing. You can visit their shop at lucidfc.us. They've got pants, shirts, shoes, all kinds of different things you would expect from a clothing store, right? They do, they do, in fact, have those things. Yes, they've got a new they've got a new uh, collection out there for their spring summer 2020 called In My Mind's Eye. It's got some cool stuff in there. Yeah, well, you can get free shipping with DSS at checkout. So go buy a bunch of Lucid FC clothes. It looks awesome. Again, I I say this every time when we do these promos, but it's yeah. because it's true. I do. I literally wear <laughs> the clothes because they sent me home when we when I went and met with them because they are local. Um, two guys. Uh, in Buckhead, where they have an office, they also have offices in uh, NYC and London. But uh, I went and met them in Buckhead, and they sent me home with a bunch of stuff. And now I just wear it all the time, and it's great. So um, encourage everybody else to do the same and visit their store again at lucidfc.us. Take a take a look at their new collection, or you, there's a bunch of stuff on sale you can also buy. Um, and it's all good stuff. And hopefully we'll have some stuff to give away as well. Speaking of giving away, still have a casserole. But that's, that, that's another story for another day. Miles Robinson has been affiliated with Lucid FC in the past. Rihanna's modeled their clothes before as well. So go check them out again. Uh, really good guys. And uh, I know you guys will enjoy anything you get from them. So with that out of the way, you could look uh, at the collection now, by the way. T-shirt, t-shirts are cool. The T-shirts are really sweet. I dig those a lot. I might, I might have to get one here. Or, or I might have to reach out to our sponsor and say, hey. Give me one of your really cool t-shirts. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into some CCL talk. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a struggle for Atlanta United. If they can get a draw, that's like a huge win. 
if they lose by one goal and, and and if they can get like a two one score and lose by one, that's a win. We're just creating we're creating winning scenarios here for Atlanta United because it's going to be very <laughs> difficult to not come away from Mexico with like a three nil loss, in my opinion. It's just going to be with, with the injuries that Atlanta has. I, you know, I've been thinking about potential lineups and things, and I'm getting I, I feel like either George Campbell or George Bellow has to start in the game. And if I guess if you go to a back four, you could use Edgar Castillo, who has not played yet. But these are the options we're looking at for this game. It's rough. Did you just did you say Edgar Castillo? Yeah. He's a player who plays Portland United. <laughs> We're doomed, man. He has experience, experience he, in the Mexican League. He does. Um, dude, this is gonna be it's gonna be interesting for sure. Um, we were talking about it before we started talking, talking on this podcast, this HDAT, whatever this is. And there's been some talk about Club America being like in a bad form. And it's really just been a couple of games where they've struggled a bit here. Um, you know, Communications gave them a, a little bit of trouble in their CCL game. Uh, they had a bad loss to Nicaxa. Uh, and then uh, Pumas came in and drew 3 3. Um, so that, that's not a great stretch for them. They're still second in Clausura right now. Um, they're still Club America, it's still Azteca. Yeah, uh, it, it's going to be a hell of a thing. Um, I want I do want to mention this though. We were talking to to Jake Moraney uh, yesterday, and he seemed kind of wowed by everything Atlanta United. And I, I wonder if you could elaborate on that some, Joe, because I really, really enjoyed that, and also his thoughts on on going to Azteca as well. Well, <clears throat> I wanted to ask him about it because he had put out a tweet. I think I think it was a tweet after the game against Matagua, Atlanta's first game of the season, home game of the season, but it was, of course, not Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was at Fifth Third Bank Stadium. And he, it, like the tweet said something like, incredible to play in front of the, uh, the you know, the, the home end where the, obviously the supporter section was that night. And I just wanted, so I wanted to pick his brain real quick. Like, I wanted to get it before he started talking about the tactics of the game or any of that stuff. I wanted to ask him about the atmosphere at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And he was just like, it was crazy, crazy. That's how he. That's how he says it. That's pretty good. Was that good. good? That was good. Yeah. No, actually, yeah. No, that's about right. I love Jake. I'm a big Jake fan. Um, I, I don't know if he. He probably. He probably starts. Right. He probably starts. I'm gonna say. Well, see, the thing is, he's like really not a left back. Yeah. And I feel like the team. So it, I, I think that if the team is in a back three, then he definitely definitely starts. But if you're in a back three, you're either starting George Campbell or Jeff Lorenowitz at center back, neither yeah. of which are options you really want to go to. Um, and so for the like, I think that the team will go to a back four. The last time Atlanta was in this situation was that first leg against Matagua, where they had a similar dearth of left of uh, center backs. And they opted Frank DeBoer opted to use a back four with Jeff Lorenowitz in the team, but he was playing him in midfield. And yeah. after the game, we had a conference call, and I asked, uh, I wanted to ask DeBoer specifically, like, because I was surprised that he didn't use Lorenowitz as a center back. When I saw the lineup that night, I figured he would be a center back. And basically, I don't remember exactly what DeBoer said in response, but basically, what I remember taking away from it was that he just does not consider Lorenowitz a center back, really. Right. I suppose he could play there 
theoretically, but he clearly sees his best position as a, a defensive midfielder sitting right in front of a, a pair of center backs. So I think that that's more likely what you're going to see. And in that case, it, it would be a gamble, I think, to play Mulraney at that left back position. But I mean, I suppose it's an option. He's played well enough at left wing back. He definitely yeah. gives you something going forward. I, it's just obviously you're going to be defending quite a bit in a game like that. And I don't know if he's kind of the guy you would want in that position, but we'll see. I think you're what right. Do you, what do you think? Uh, God, I almost think like, screw it. Six, three, one, just put everyone back and, and hold on for your life. You know, um, I, I, I just don't see, I don't see a really positive outcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know you can always you can always steal things you can always steal something right and then anything can happen when they get back to to the fraction uh in a couple of weeks but uh you know I I, I, the personnel just is so weird right now and it's it's hard to even find six people to to sit back and, and do that you know yeah i was i should say i was at atlanta united too obviously we're recording this on a sunday i was over at the atlanta united two game today and george bellow only played one half so that he would be fresh for that trip, which is obviously they couldn't confirm whether he's going to go on it or not at this point, but he is going to go on with the first team down to Mexico. So I'm quite confident in saying that. So is he an option that you go to? Uh, I'm not sure. I do think, you know, with you saying a, a 6-3-1, I do wonder maybe you start both George Campbell and Jeff Lorenowitz and just totally pack it out, like play a back three with George Campbell and Jeff Lorenowitz sitting in front of the back three, potentially. I don't know if you want to get super, super just like rigid at the back, you know, rigid and structurally and just play with like Pitti, um, Pitti, Barco and Hazetto up top and just like let them be your attacking, all of your attack and just defend with everybody else. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. It's interesting to see how DeBoer manages the team in these games because he's so adamant on wanting to control possession and wanting to be the team that's kind of the protagonist and and you know he's not really a counter a coach that wants to play on the counter but I feel like in these games you have to be pragmatic and you have to just try to pick your chances to attack very very sporadically but you know in those opportune moments so it's going to be interesting to kind of see uh, how they manage that situation. I thought the way they managed it in Matagua was good, but, you know, that's yeah. Matagua. And we 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 could, you know, after playing two expansion-esque uh, MLS teams, we could see the the talent difference between Matagua and those teams. So you can only imagine what Club America is going to be like. And it's a yeah, huge uh, pitch to defend, too. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned this to you a couple of times last night, uh, but the – both teams, both Nashville and Cincinnati set up in very similar ways. It was just kind of a mid-block with very, very little pressure. And we mentioned that a little bit when we were talking about Wyke being able to, to get off these line-breaking passes and everything like that. Uh, but a mid-block with very, very little pressure is probably not what they're going to get on Wednesday. You know, it's going to be a kind of a complete readjustment from what they've been able to get kind of comfortable with the last couple games. Uh, and it might be it might be a shock to the system, yeah, which is kind of worrying, you know. Um, God, hopefully they're prepared. I, I think Cassetto helps a lot there, having him uh, kind of be there and able to maybe retain some possession. But I don't know if it helps enough. Is my thought. Yeah, I I feel like honestly, you know, for the duration of the season, you want a manager like a DeBoer, who's like very advanced tactically, wants to do things, wants to play a certain type of game. 
honestly, for a game like going on the road to Estadio Azteca, maybe sometimes you want a lacrosse coach who who's just going to be like deny all the space centrally, force mm-hmm. them to the flanks, let them Cut bomb off their crosses. Middies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whack whack the middies with your sticks and just uh, <laughs> yeah. It, but like essentially, you know, sometimes. You, those kinds of coaches can actually game plan that better than someone like DeBoer might be able to. So it's going to be a big test for him and his kind of managerial, uh, his ability to adjust to different situations. I, it's just, again, I'm like you, like I, I, it's I think a shock, shock to the system is a good way to put it because these center backs are not going to have the time and space to work with the ball like they have in the past. So we, I mean, we heard from DeBoer. He said in that first leg against Matagua, he was like, the the instruction was just clear clear you know clear the ball clear it long bunker in and i think that that's what they're gonna have to do again they're yeah, they really, they need to score they need to score that's i think something they need to make sure they get out of there with a goal that way you have, kind of have a chance coming back yeah uh, i mentioned earlier that communications was their last ccl game and they were very 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 close to knocking them off in, in penalties uh, that was a 1-1 game, but but looking, it it felt like Cunicessiola really had like uh, some really good chances and everything like that. And I'm looking at the the statistics from it now, and it maybe maybe it was a little, little bit different than I was imagining when the when I was envisioning the scrappy underdogs uh, really taking it to Club America. It wasn't quite that. Club America had 24 shots uh, compared <laughs> to eight. Comunicaciones um, and you know uh, 72% possession for Club America, but it was one-one. You know they did bring it to penalties at the end of it. Um, so whatever the blueprint there was, which you know was pretty much sitting back and uh, blasting the ball up to the same dude whose name I can't remember right now. Uh, but if that's what it takes to get it done, you got to do it. <clears throat> Yeah, I will say there is some kind of confidence from the players coming into this game, which is nice. They're not like completely. I actually like where the team's head is at this point. Brad Guzan was like when he was talking about the game, he was like. He was looking very um, determined, I guess, or like he he was like, we got to be better. He Like he knew that the team had to improve if they wanted to have any chance. But I also think that, you know, the team is kind of swung their dicks a little bit these last couple of weeks <laughs> talking, talking about this matchup. Pitti Martinez had a quote from after the club, uh, after the Matago game. Um, and he said, I always say that Atlanta is a team that whoever we play, you have to respect. We're strong at home. I said it before we played club America. We're a strong team. And I always say it, you have to respect us, even though we're, uh, they are a big club in North and Central America, whoever we play, we have to worry about ourselves. But I, you know, you like to see that you like to see kind of that kind of swagger, even though the, the deck is stacked against you. I think these players back themselves. Meza had a good quote about it too. Let me see if I could pull it up here. So the quote was, I'm playing Club America and expectations. This is from Fernando Meza. He says, to win. I'm able to compare because I know the team that America is. It's a team with a lot of depth and a big squad. We have absences, but every player who plays will be important for the team. And I'm totally convinced that our team, even with the loss of Joseph, which is obviously important for us, we know that at least whoever plays can do well. And I'm convinced that we can win. Obviously, it's going to be an entertaining game because they play well. The field at Estadio Azteca is well-suited for that. So it'll be a show, and when they come here, it will be the same. Adam John worked his balls off. Bye, y'all. 